Well, I wanted to begin our time this morning by asking a question, and this isn't rhetorical. I know we're a little bit of a larger group, but don't be scared, okay? Um, Don't be ashamed and be very courageous to shout out some answers. It's a pretty simple question, but what comes to your mind when you think of the good life? You know what I'm talking about, the life we all want, right? How would you describe the good life? I'm not looking for paragraphs. I'm talking, you know, some of you have a lot of great answers on this, but I'm looking more for a word or a sentence, and I'm going to write it up here on the board, this self-stick easel pad, um, if you were curious of what this was. Um, so yeah, go ahead and shout out. What, how would you describe the good life? Financially comfortable, yes. Health, excellent. Keep it coming. Ooh, yes, stress-free. Who likes stress? There's good stress, right? That doctors say, whatever. But mainly we mean stress-free is what we want, yeah. Fulfilling. Fulfilling, mm, mm-hmm. I'm a terrible speller, so this is going to go. Good friends, excellent. Paid help. Excellent. Okay. All right. I mean, we're getting real up in here. Okay. What else? Oh, so we've got health. We've got paid help. We've got both of them. We could say paid health, I guess, you know. Health insurance. <laughs> Continuous employment. A job that's trustworthy, fulfilling. Yes. Family. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. What else do we got? The good life. Oh, good food. This is KC after all, yes? Oh, good food. A lot of good things go with the good life. Oh, entertainment. Oh, man, who doesn't love a good movie, right? You know, good movie, a good piece of literature that stirs thought and, you know, uh, reflection, good art, maybe we could say alongside of that, entertainment, no, entertainment, there we go, art, a loving, a loving ch- angel, oh, come on, all right, <laughs> great church, a loving church, anything else, ooh, oh, nice, way to bring it, adventure, we don't want to be bored, we want, we want challenge, Adventure. Anyone? Dogs. Okay. Man's best friend. I'm sorry, cat lovers. I'm not going to put cats up here. I apologize. That one will not make the list as long as I'm writing. Ooh. Here, here. Oh, yes, for the man. Does bring in good conversation. Loving wife, spouse. Good, good. Anything else? Education. Very good, Becca. Education. You know, uh, you're saying these, and I didn't think of them, so I'm, I'm very impressed by your astute thinking and your willingness to courageously say these words. All right, so this is what we would call, to many of us and much of our world, see, this is why this is so helpful. Um, boom, it's moved. Um, this is what we'd call the good life. Now, excellent, excellent answers. 
One thing that always helps us to find something is thinking of its opposite, yes? What is it not? And so next I'd like to ask us, what are some of those great disappointing moments in life? What does the disappointing life look like? And I'm going to record those as well. (laughs) I will put that one on there. The loathing existence. (laughs) What is it? Broken dreams. Oh, good, yeah. Good. Loneliness. Hmm. I'm doing better at spelling than I thought. Okay, keep going. A continuous job. A So that's a dis... <laughs> you know, it depends, you know, if it's a job or a calling, right? Something to get paid for over against something to do. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Persecution. Hmm. Personal loss. Mm. Somebody's been listening to the scripture here. Look out. Hunger. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Nothing like having issues with those that we love. One of the ultimate pieces, yes. Abuse. Mm. What was that? Neglect. This feeling of forgottenness. Mm. I don't. Brilliant. Sickness. That's kind of the opposite of adventure. You're going somewhere. You're doing something. It's a good row of guys right here. We've got some stasis. Now that one I... Okay, whatever. Just don't look at how I spelled it. That's <laughs> terrible. It's so simple. I mean... Oh, man. Phonics. Anyway. Anyone else? What was that? Not putting God first. What was it? Feeling unloved. Not putting God first. Good, good. Yes. Excellent. All right. So we have a picture here of the good life over against the disappointing life. And when we turn to Jesus, and I would encourage you to do that in Luke chapter 6 if you haven't already, we ask the question of ourselves, which one of these would we choose? (laughs) If we're in our right mind and we're not trying to be overly spiritual, like trying to be cool in front of people, which one would we choose? I mean, obviously we're going to choose the good life, right? I mean, who in here, that's the reason why we describe it the good life. Well, when we come to Jesus, 
In Luke chapter 6, he says something strange. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. But blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry now. You who weep now, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your names as evil. In other words, well off are the worn out, the worn thin, and the worn through. And it seems very antithetical. The good life is promised to those who don't have their lives together. Blessed are the forgotten, the messed up the miserable, the dependent, the depressed. Blessed are the people who don't have what it takes to make it on their own. Blessed are the disappointed, the ones who aren't satisfied with life as it is. And if we look back on our own lives, we all know disappointment pretty intimately, don't we? We could find one situation in our lives, and maybe in a trite way, we can at least connect this way. You know, the holidays weren't as relaxing as you'd hope they'd be. Uh, the movie your friend told you about was actually pretty lame. Um, you, you went on this next date and you thought it would be different, but it was the same old, same old, not a lasting relationship. We hope for the good life, but many times we get anything but the good life. For me, one of the greatest disappointments in my life was when my dad abandoned our family in middle school. I, I, he gave up and moved overseas, and they actually got a divorce in high school, and I didn't hear from him for a long time, just completely cut off ties. And I remember, you know, feeling completely excluded from a special club. You know, those father-son moments just weren't there. You felt socially awkward at sporting events when dads were cheering on their sons playing soccer, and then I'm there, like, what am I going to do? I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me, you know? And you wrestle with daddy issues, and you get scarred, and And we all know that sinking feeling in one way, shape, or form in our own lives. We wrestle through disappointment. We feel like life has dealt us a rough hand. And some of you, you feel like your life is going from one disappointment to the next, and to the next, and to the next. Either your marriage is rocky or it's failed by this point. Your family just doesn't get along with one another. You feel like your income isn't enough to cover your bills. You're tired of being lonely. You're sick of being depressed. And we tell ourselves, at least in our better moments, it's not supposed to be this way. God, just show me and tell me anything to do to change this life. I'm tired of being broken. This life hurts. And yet we come to Jesus and he essentially says, blessed are the disappointed. And we sit here and we think, Jesus, what are you talking about? That's outrageous. And many have looked at these beatitudes as they've been called throughout history. And they use them as an example to show that Jesus is really imbalanced. He's off his rocker. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And yet, the more I study Jesus, the more I realize that the statements contained here lie at the very heart of his good message. And if we do not understand this teaching, we fail to understand Jesus as a whole. Last week, if you remember, if you were here with us, um, we saw all the promises of God's deliverer for a broken humanity come to a crux, right to the center of a baby born in a shed in Bethlehem. 
God had sent humanity a king, and he's born unlike any king that we've ever heard of before. His name is Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And yet, it, his birth is anything but beautiful and serene. It's, it's very backwater. It's very drab. And the whole world would have completely missed it. Save the angelic presence and proclamation of good news of great joy to shepherds. Now we fast forward to Jesus 30 years later in his life. And if we look just earlier in chapter 6 of Luke, we find the context of our passage. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, we see Jesus and his disciples, they go on this day retreat up into the mountains. And Jesus, he picks his 12 most closest leaders, the apostles. And now with his new leadership in place, they head back down to the mount, or back down to the plains, out of the mountain. And what do they find? They find this waiting and worn out community of people. This new leadership, we're all asking, how are they going to impact the world? How is the world going to be different with this kingdom, this different kind of king and this different kind of kingdom? What will this king do with those that so many people just push to the wayside? The poor, the sick, the diseased, the demon-possessed. Those who just want to encounter Jesus, quite frankly, because he's a miracle worker. They're not even wanting a good life. They just want an average life for once. And we've all found ourselves in this crowd, haven't we? The, the, desperate, uh, the desperate and discouraged and disappointed ones. And we too want to know what this King Jesus will do when he's in charge. Is his kingdom only for the healthy, the wealthy, the sexy, and the savvy? And will it be just a replacement of the same old, same old power politics with manipulation? Well, unlike the royalty of the day, and unlike many of our leaders still today, Jesus, he isn't repulsed by broken people, but instead he's drawn into them. Right before Luke chapter 6, verse 20, we see this crowd and he's healing, he's touching, and he's, he's bringing wholeness to broken people before he looks to his disciples and then he begins to teach amidst this crowd of disappointed ones. It's here he gives a stunning reversal to everything we thought true. His kingdom turns the world upside down. Blessed are the disappointed ones. But those who are satisfied, they better look out. Now, whenever we come to Scripture, we have to wrestle through our own biases, right? I mean, our own lenses of self-protection. We hate being confronted. We hate feeling conviction that we're in the wrong. So we need to keep our eyes open, and we need to see what's happening in the historical context of Jesus and the book of Luke as a whole. And as 21st century U.S. citizens who usually are doing okay, or so we think, when we hear this stunning reversal of Jesus, we ask, what's so terrible about having it all together? What's the big deal, Jesus, with everybody who's got their act together? Why are you pronouncing these woes on them? And we find in verses 24 through 26, Jesus does use this word, woe. Um, we saw this word pop up a lot when we were in the prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, this isn't a comfy word. It's not something that makes us feel good. It's very emotional and it's very condemning. It's not like, woe is the rich. It's, woe is the rich. It should shock us. 
Shake us. Blow out our speakers. Sorry about that, Mark. Um, yeah, Jesus, he says some not nice things. I mean, he's, he's not just this really cool guy that happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time to get crucified. He said some pretty hard-hitting truths that shook up a culture. The word woe is the same word that's used by mourners at a funeral. It means death is here. The end is here for those who are in this status. Whoa. And the first group he warns are the rich, the successful, which probably defines most of you in here, most of us, me included, in here when we think about a global scale. Now, we've seen time and time again throughout Scripture that there isn't anything inherently wrong with being a wealthy person. That's not what Jesus is saying. Oh, your bank account's higher. Then it just becomes this new legalism where who's really on top are the poor. Ha ha. You know, they're the better people. No, that's, if that were the case, then the wealthiest being in the universe who owns it all, God himself, would be inherently evil. I don't think we think that. (laughs) Scripture doesn't portray that. But there is a great danger that accompanies wealth that Jesus is attacking here. If you're familiar with the musical Fiddler on the Roof, there's a moment in the story where one of the characters proclaims, money is a curse. And today he responds, then may God smite me with it and may I never recover, you know? <laughs> I think we all kind of have that feeling a little bit. But then you get to verse 24 of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. When we get disappointed with life, we can so easily begin to rely on our wealth as our ultimate comfort, our ultimate consolation. It's cash money that's going to deliver me from my problems, right? More money, more problems, that ain't my story, you know? Um, and when, when, we, when we have a healthy bank account, we have a tendency to rely on ourselves. Riches, they make comfort king so easily. And when, when, when king, or the comfort is king, then we aren't looking for another king. Really, when we think we're okay, then we don't want someone coming in and messing up our nice lives. You see, problems, at least real problems, are only problems if you can't fix them with money, right? Otherwise, they're just situations. We're not disappointed, we're inconvenienced. It's a little bit different. Uh, This past Labor Day, just this past week, I woke up, I found my tire was flat, and there was a screw in there. And I thought, no, it's Labor Day, I'm not supposed to work, you know. What's going on? What's wrong with the universe? Um, what did I do? And so I, you know, I got frustrated because it messed up my schedule for the day, kind of. But then I chickened out and I just called AAA. <laughs> it's right there in my parking lot, you know. And I'm like, well, can you just come put on the spare for me, you know? Um, and I, you know, we'd planned to get new tires this fall anyway, so I scheduled it the next day. And so we kind of began to budget at least in that direction. And so... It wasn't as much a problem as it was an inconvenience in my life. The rich are more worried about convenience rather than crisis, right? Asking for help becomes a symbol of failure rather than friendship in the rich culture. And so we try to live our lives by this old adage by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? I'm okay, Jesus. I've got it. 
I don't need to encounter him right now. Thanks, though. I've got it under control. I'm good. And Jesus says, woe to you and woe to me. Jesus, then he turns to those who are satisfied with the world as it is today. They feel full now. Notice this temporal language on the present. They feel full now, not longing for anything more. They laugh now. And Jesus isn't saying that we can't enjoy a good joke. I mean, Jesus was known as a partier because of the people he hung out with. I mean, he was a guy who could laugh. But here the emphasis is on those who do not weep over the injustices of the world. They don't feel brokenness. They do not think that the world needs a radical reversal because, quite frankly, they're full now and they can laugh now. We can choose to encounter brokenness or distance ourselves from brokenness. So why change the system if it's working? Why do we need a new king? And and we hear this in ourselves when we say things like, if only they would just get a job. Or it's not my fault I was born beautiful. I don't ever say that in the morning. But it's, you know, it's not my fault I was born in a wealthy, wealthier household. Or if they would only get their act together. And what we say in each one of those statements essentially is, if they're just a little bit like me. The satisfaction in the world, an inappropriate contentment. Yes? And arrogance can keep us from ever really looking beyond ourselves. It reminds me of what C.S. Lewis says. It's a famous quote in his collection of essays called Weight of Glory, where he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. You and I have the potential here in the United States to live very full lives, quite frankly. Not perfect, but very satisfying. And this satisfaction in the everyday can easily enable us to forget about the coming day. We ignore Christ's call to a better kingdom. Woe to you and woe to me. Well, Jesus, he finish off, finishes off his warnings by highlighting acceptance. I mean, community becomes king here in this final one. We all want to be accepted. Popular was the term we used in school, right? But really, not a lot is different in terms of the social dynamics from high school. That's why you have people who are age 15 and age 40 who watch Glee, you know. I don't, but, uh, you know, there's plenty of people who do. And we like to be admired. We hate being picked on, right? Simply put, we like it when people like us. And there are those of us, and I can find myself in this category, who are people pleasers. We find satisfaction not just when some people like us, but when everyone likes us, right? We try to please everyone. The only problem is that some of the most loving things that we can do for the people we love are saying things that will actually cause ridicule from them at times. They cause pain while calling for love. You think of addiction, helping pull someone out of the terrible cycles of destructive addiction. And sometimes it's painful. Sometimes relationships are severed while bringing someone to a rehab and so on. When the prophets spoke, Jesus talks about this here, when the prophets spoke to Israel time and time again, 
throughout their history, their actions, they, they called Israel's actions as individuals and as a whole community into question by saying they didn't line up with God's purposes for flourishing for humanity and what happens to them. The prophets are insulted, they're jailed, and sometimes murdered by the very community they're called to love. If you never have confrontation in your life, if you never have moments where you feel like you're pushing against the grain of the world, if you're always quiet in the moments of injustice and sin, then everyone may speak well of you, save one, King Jesus. Your destructive longing for acceptance actually clashes against Jesus' longing for the renewal of a broken world. And Jesus says, woe to you and woe to me. So what's so terrible about having it all together? Well, the satisfied can so easily just look to themselves. Look to themselves. The rich, satisfied and admired, they have the resources, the social capital, the wiring to build their own little kingdoms. They have the ability to construct their own islands of refuge where there's no need for an outside sovereign to ever come in and mess up our lives. But every kingdom that doesn't swear allegiance to Jesus will die alongside its inadequate king or queen, you and me. It won't last. We aren't savvy enough to outsmart death. We're not rich enough to purchase our own souls. We may think we've got it all together, but Jesus, who knows what's coming, who's bringing what's coming, he shouts the woes of death on a self-satisfied kingdom. The I've, all, I've got it all together on my own kingdom. So if having it all together isn't all that it's cracked up to be, the next question we ask is, what's so great about disappointment? You know, why is Jesus pronouncing blessing on these people, on us, quite frankly? Well, Jesus, he describes the good life with a very popular word before it became a very churchy word, blessed. (laughs) Blessed refers to the highest type of well-being we can experience as humans. And in the first century, the Greeks actually used this word to describe and characterize the, the, the lifestyle of the gods. I mean, it it described the life of plenty, the fertility of a womb, the vocational dominance where you're placed, or the sexual prowess or political success of someone. This was blessed. And Jesus pushes against the norm here. Instead, in his radical reversal, he says to the unwanted, you're blessed. He says to the unwanted, you're welcome. All are welcome in my kingdom. The very last in the world can become firsts in his kingdom. We hear over and over and over again. Those who are worn out, worn thin, and worn through, blessed are the disappointed. Who are some of the most disappointed ones in our culture? And pretty much in every culture. Jesus hits them here. He says, well, not literally, just metaphorically. That would be terrible. Got to watch that. It's the poor that Jesus calls out to. Those who don't even have the resources for food. Those who emotionally are just broken to despair. They're weeping. And those who feel like no one wants them. Now to be clear in a similar way that wealth isn't inherently evil, neither is poverty inherently righteous. I mean, you're not instantly in just because you don't got nothing. Um, But when our lives sink below the poverty line, 
The poor come to know by definition what it means to be dependent on others. You have to have some sort of relationship if you're going to survive at all as someone who is in poverty. We see the hands of the poor reaching out. We see the eyes of the poor looking out. The hearts are longing for the riches of another. And Jesus says they will receive God's kingdom. Now, Matthew, in his recording of Jesus' sermon here, the Beatitudes, many think, and I'm in this camp, that the Beatitudes was kind of like Jesus' stump speech, you know. He was going around to different towns giving this same sermon. And Matthew, when he records Jesus giving uh, the sermon on the mount, he says, uh, you know, that there are those who are poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. And there's a lot of people who just want to then make all of this spiritual, Let's just make this the spiritual realm. Let's not talk about material possessions. But I believe Matthew's merely making explicit the link between material circumstances and religious attitude that is implicit in Luke's simple poor language. Do you follow? The ears of the poor are itching for the good news of a better kingdom and a better king already because the system that they're in has failed them. As for the hungry, they're blessed because they know they aren't satisfied. The long, they long for fulfillment because this world has failed them. Their physical hum- hunger is a symbol and a pointer to their spiritual hunger. And Jesus says that his kingdom will bring them satisfaction. When looking out at the crowd, looking out at us, if we were there, he sees the broken, depressed, and emotionally exhausted that are tired of the misery of the fallen world. They cannot just sit and enjoy life laughing because suffering has reached the depths of their souls and in their own personal lives. Some of the others that we could fit into this category is the young man who's wrestling through bipolar, wondering why and why and why do we have these mood swings and these chemical imbalances. The young woman who wrestles through same-sex attraction, who isn't comfortable in the church, because it feels or she feels consistently condemned or doesn't feel comfortable in the LGBT because there's this constant condemnation of her following of Jesus. There are many within our culture. We could think of the immigrant who has to leave his family to provide substance and a work far away. They're longing for the world to be made right. We long for our personal lives to be made right. And Jesus says that in his kingdom, they will laugh once again and weeping will go to the wayside. And finally, Jesus highlights his care for the hated. Well off are the despised when they're made fun of, when they're ignored, looked down upon, and ridiculed. And this part's key, because they hold to Jesus. I mean, we want to run from persecution, don't we? We complain when we feel like we're victims of bias and slander. When finally, you know, when we look on the news and those who are following Jesus are on, you know, the TV once again and are, you know, slandered against and we ask the question, God, what are you doing? And then we put out our own rally. But Jesus says they can't touch your good life. Those who hate Jesus are going to hate you. You're not better than the king. He makes that perfectly clear. They can't take away God's approval from anyone. So throw a party when this happens. 
because it reminds you your reward isn't here. Look at verse 23 again. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Actually dance. For look, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. So why are the disappointed blessed? Because the disappointed have no choice but to look elsewhere. They have no choice but to look elsewhere. They know by the difficulties of their life that they cannot satisfy themselves. They cannot look within to make it. The system of the self-made kingdom, it hasn't worked for them. They have to look up, or at least elsewhere. Now, I know that any sort of emphasis on future rewards has kind of fallen out of style with a lot of Christians. Um, We want to highlight the tangible kingdom, not as much the coming kingdom, when really Christ highlights both. And I think Philip Yancey's observation is really helpful when he says in his book, Who is This Man? As churches grow wealthier and more successful, their preference in hymns changes from this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, to this is my father's world. Now, obviously, he's creating a caricature here, but we sang a song this morning that was sang by disappointed people right before the scriptures were read. People who weren't even persecuted because they followed Jesus. Sometimes they were because they were seen as less than human, even though they were made in the image of God, blaspheming the name of Jesus in that way, those who persecuted them, but because of the color of their skin. And in the midst, they held on to Jesus. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming forth to carry me home. And their sweat would mingle with their tears as they're picking cotton in plantations, abused, singing of a blessed day that is to come. When the now of suffering fades into the not yet of comfort. When the coming kingdom and its coming king would make all wrongs right for those who are his. And this isn't some escapist perspective, okay? But in suffering, our brothers and sisters have captured what's always been at the core of the Christian faith. A hope and another outside themselves, longing for God's coming king who will turn the world upside down. Or maybe we could say from God's perspective, turning an upside down world right side And it all hinges on Jesus. But we still want to know how to live in the now in anticipation of the not yet comfort, right? In other words, how do we live in this upside down kingdom? And first, if you're satisfied, learn to be disappointed. Um, In God's economy, there's no room whatsoever for the self-made man and self-made woman. If you're satisfied with your success, if you're a very successful person and as an entrepreneur, as a business person, as an artist, this is extremely hard to hear because we love to take pride in our work. This is what I have done. If you really want to be that self-made person, this rubs you the wrong way. For you, Jesus is a crutch that the weak lean upon or when things are going rough because people don't have enough guts and gusto to make it on their own. But when Jesus calls out to every single one of us, he proclaims that you are poor. I am hungry. 
We're all broken in need of his grace. And only his kingdom will bring lasting joy, lasting comfort, lasting fulfillment. The death toll of woe will not be proclaimed over his kingdom. So I ask you, are you disappointed with what you've tried to do on your own? Are you disappointed with the empty promises of peace that this world offers? If you're satisfied, learn to be disappointed. Only then you'll be able to hope in a better king, Jesus Christ. Secondly, if you're disappointed, learn to be satisfied. Sounds antithetical, but it's very different. Jesus comes bringing good news to everyone who depends upon him for satisfaction. The poor, the sick, the hungry, the weeping, they know they need someone else. They're disappointed with who they are and where they are. And throughout the Gospels, we see they come to Jesus looking for satisfaction. The blind beggar, the parents of a deceased child, a woman with an incurable disease, the poor. These are the people who are searching for Jesus. Every now and then, there are those with great wealth that come to Jesus, and there are those with great wealth who follow Jesus. But there are greater barriers. It's harder because of the self-reliance we build up in ourselves. In the Gospels and in our lives, he's all that we've got. But he's more than enough. Blessed are the disappointed. Why? Because the disappointed can find satisfaction in Jesus. And it's this insight that even transforms the struggles we go through in life. Now, I'm not going to downplay anyone's hurt in here. Pain is pain when we feel it. And it's deep within the core of who we are many times because of the brokenness of our world. But Jesus would prefer the pain that you go through in your life if it draws him closer, draws you closer to him. Your underemployment, your difficult marriage, your frustrating singleness might, just might create a window of disappointment that allows us to find our satisfaction in Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't work through these in a healthy way. And have you ever thought about that? I mean, I don't know how many times people have come to me and said, if this didn't happen in my life, I never would have seen the beauty of Jesus. If I didn't get that low in the depths of my soul because of the brokenness I was experiencing, I would have never seen the beauty of the gospel. The pain that we go through, it's horrendous. But it awakens within us the opportunity to see our need for someone outside of ourselves to survive and then to thrive. It's this that changes our ability to then As the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, find satisfaction in the now and the not yet, whether in plenty or in want. That doesn't mean we don't weep. That doesn't mean that we're not still broken. That doesn't mean we, we still don't go and have help from counselors and community. But because God in Christ is where we find our satisfaction, we can truly say, blessed are the disappointed. Either money, comfort, Happiness or reputation own us. But the loving and powerful arms of Jesus embrace us no matter what comes until he comes. 
Now, earlier I mentioned um, one of my biggest disappointments in my life was being abandoned by my dad. And the questions that swirled through my mind were endless. The pain I saw my mom go through, weeping when I would come home at night. The stress it put on my two older sisters, one of them who got a full-time job at age 16 while being homeschooled so he'd have enough money for groceries. All the while wondering what was just wrong with us that my dad left. But one thing I didn't share was how my mom pointed us to Jesus throughout it all. Um, Jesus was her rock that kept our family steady. And it was the body of Christ that surrounded us. Pastors came and mentored me. I had a Christian family that took me in as a second family who helped teach me those unspoken rules of manhood. It was a a family of all boys. So (laughs) teach me, you know. Um, And it was in those moments that God's word came alive. For us as a family and for me as a follower of Jesus, I would park at Walmart. I still remember that. I mean, it's... At 11 o'clock at night when I finally got my driver's license, and I'd have these yelling matches with God. (laughs) Like, what is wrong? Like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? He still loved me, you know, even in the midst of that, I guess. (laughs) And in those moments, I felt the most awesome presence in the midst of pain. It's only now, though, in hindsight, that I can look back and see how God was working. I wouldn't wish that pain on my worst enemy, but at the same time, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Why? Because it pushed me deeper into Jesus. I say that now. I couldn't say that probably then. And people who told me that then, I'd say, leave me alone, you know? And we feel that way when we're going through pain. But through hindsight, you know, people say hindsight's 20-20 sometimes. You can see how God's working even in the midst of those moments of pain proclaiming those who will lose their life will find it. It's here that I learned, blessed are the disappointed. And Jesus didn't just teach this, but he lived it. I mean, talk about a disappointing life, right? Jesus was born into poverty and lived a low-class life his whole time. His earthly father died when he was young. He never married or had a nuclear family of his own. He was popular for like five minutes because people wanted stuff from him. He then is abandoned by his friends, despised and rejected by his nation, falsely accused, goes through a sham of a trial, and even though he never sinned once, he's found guilty. Mocked as a false king, executed between two thieves and the most gruesome gruesome form of death possible, the cross. And here at the cross, we see the last beatitude of Jesus. Blessed is the crucified one. The one the world was not worthy of, for he became the king of kings and lord of lords. Do we see the reversal? And it's here that we hear Jesus call, come and follow me. Blessed are those who are not disappointed with me, Jesus says earlier in his ministry. You see, the good life can only come from the good news of Jesus' death on our behalf. It's as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. The fellowship of the Beatitudes is the fellowship of the crucified. With him it has lost all, and with him and in him it has found all. From the cross there comes the call, blessed 
blessed. So woe to the satisfied because they will be disappointed with this world. But blessed are the disappointed because they will find their satisfaction in Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you this morning perplexed because of the radical reversal of your kingdom working. We've been living in this fallen world for so long and we so easily absorb the hierarchical and self-motivated messages of our world that this seems so foreign and even wrong. May you give us eyes to see. May we see in the richness of your beatitudes our own poverty. And may we find our satisfaction in Jesus. Amen. Well, every day of our lives, we stop and we eat. It's a reminder that we can't survive on our own. We have to take something outside of ourselves, put it in ourselves, if we're going to make it to the next day or week or so on. And it's in this moment, or in just a moment, um, all who hunger now will be called to remember the fullness we have in Jesus at the Lord's table. The Lord's Supper calls us to remember through broken bread, Jesus Christ's body broken on our behalf. And through common juice that Jesus' blood was shed on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins. Here at Christ Community, you don't have to be a member of the church to partake of the table. But we do ask that you have proclaimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Also know that this isn't an obligation, but it's an opportunity. If you'd rather use this time to sit, pray, reflect, please do so at this time. No judging eyes on that perspective. But if you do come, come through the front here. You're going to circle around to the back, and then you go to the two tables in the back there for communion. Groups of four to six, you'll take gluten-free bread and dip it in the juice and partake together, hearing blessed, blessed are you in Christ Jesus. But before we do that, let's just take a moment silently to surrender our disappointments to the cross of Jesus. Let's pray quietly together.